celebrating 10 years of podcasting and online ministry. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, where we take Christian truth into the arena of ideas. Now join your hosts, Dr. Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo. Coming to you from Pilot Mountain and the Arctic Circle, that is Ronan, Montana. Uh, this is the Bellator Christie podcast, and uh, where we are about to become a part of that Arctic Circle down here in North yep. Carolina as well. It is, we've got some insane cold uh, that is really hitting uh, many parts of uh, of the united states and so anyhow this is the bellator christie podcast this is brian chilton curtis evelo with us as well and we are so glad that you are joining us and hope that you're staying warm no matter where you may be uh, as we mentioned there's just a huge cold front coming through uh curtis shared with me just earlier this week that uh, they are anticipating in certain areas around polson mission valley many other areas Wind chill factors of negative 60. Negative 60. That is insane. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I mean, 60, you got 60 degrees, and then you got negative 60. I mean, that is just insane. Yeah. Uh, and we in North Carolina, we're expecting, uh, it, wild as it is, I mean, you wouldn't anticipate this, but they're talking like, we in northwestern North Carolina in the foothills where, where we're located, uh, where I'm located, I should say, uh, they're expecting wind chill factors of some comparable to negative, uh, possibly negative 20 in the mountains, negative 30 or something like that. This is, this is some insane cold. And so anyhow, we're, we're coming to you on the, um, just a few days before Christmas. And we are just trying to stay warm, bundled up. Uh, but we know as cold as it is on the outside, we have the warmth of Christ mm-hmm. on the inside. And so uh, we just pray that you're doing well, staying warm no matter where you are. Uh, of course, if you're among some of those uh, listening to us from uh, Australia, uh, you may be wishing for some cold down there because <laughs> you're getting ready to start in the summertime. Uh, so um, yep. anyhow, it's all a matter of perspective, perspective and and location and context and all that good stuff and everything else. So uh, we hope you're doing well. Uh, if you're joining us on YouTube or Facebook, we especially want to welcome you as well. If you have any questions for us as we go through the content of this podcast, be sure to add it to the comment bar and uh, we will probably we'll, we'll have to address it. Uh, at, as, as the podcast concludes, because we've got a bunch of stuff to discuss today. And so, uh, we're excited about that. So again, Merry Christmas on behalf of Curtis and the entire Bellator Christie team. Merry Christmas to you. And we hope and pray, uh, that you have a wonderful 2023. Uh, uh, and we're excited about what God's doing in 2023. We've got some great things on tap. Um, I've got a book coming out, uh, late in 2023 on heaven, uh, conversations about heaven is what it's called. Uh, we've got a contributor, uh, Dr. TJ Gentry. He's got a book talking about leading Calvinism, finding grace. That's coming out probably the first half of 2023. And our own Bellator Christie team is working on a collaborative book on creationism, uh, which will maybe be due, maybe come out 2024. 
Uh, we'll just have to see how it progresses, uh, but we'll mm-hmm. give you more information on that as uh, it comes along. So without further ado, the man who needs no introduction, the cowboy apologist himself, <laughs> defrosting right now in, yeah. in Montana, the one and only Curtis Envelope. <laughs> yeah. So I, t- I have a dad joke I can share real quick. So <laughs> what does... Uh, what does uh, a snowman have for breakfast? Ice cream? Frosted flakes, man. <laughs> or it could have a frosty. Yeah. No, that's what he has that's what he has his drink. His drink is <laughs> is a blizzard. <laughs> so, um Elk uh what is it? Elk Park, Montana. So, um just north of Butte, Montana, which is 100 miles, 120 miles uh east of us. Um Elk Park uh had the coldest temperature in Montana for the day, which was minus 74 degrees. Oh my gosh, that is insane. <laughs> and um how do, you even, how do you even stand outside in negative 74? You don't. Oh <laughs> it's that's a good that's a good way to wind up like frosty the snowman <laughs> so yeah but um it, it's uh great falls actually just north of great falls um holds the uh the actual record in the largest swing of temperature in a 24-hour period it was 50 below and then 24 hours later, it was 50 above. <laughs> oh, my goodness. 100-degree swing, yeah. So How do you adjust to that? <laughs> I just do it. Yep. <laughs> yep, that was years. That was a couple of years ago when that hit. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, you yourself, you shared uh, by text that you shared that you guys had a 26-degree dip. Your temperature fell 26 degrees in a matter of three minutes. Yep. Three minutes. Yep. Yeah. I, I told my wife that this afternoon, and I said, I said, honey, you're not going to believe this. And I said, uh, <laughs> Curtis shared with me that they, they, their temperature dropped in three minutes, 26 degrees in three minutes. She said, you mean 30 minutes? I said, no, three minutes. Yeah, three minutes, yeah. Yeah. I even had to show her the text to prove that yeah. I was telling her the truth. Yeah. Yeah, that was Dylan. That was Dylan Montana, and and uh, they're they live in kind of a uh, Dylan is kind of in a really unique area where um, everybody knows that Dylan is going to be cold. Everybody, it's just it's just naturally cold. <laughs> yep. I'm glad you also provided the proper pronunciation of Butte, Montana. Oh yeah. For a long time, I was calling it the wrong way. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, but it can be that too. So it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's been it's been quite an interesting, uh, quite an interesting past twenty four hours or so, um, thirty six hours. I uh, got a couple more. What about another day, day and a half? That they're saying of of this colder temperature, and then it's supposed to actually jump up and be up into the um, uh, mid forties. Um, and, and mid forties and, and, uh, and cool temps at night, you know, in the thirties at night. And I'm like, Oh, we'll take that. 
But yeah, absolutely. So, yep, tomorrow's going to be a snowplow day. Get everything all snowplowed out before that warmer weather hits and and starts melting the snow and makes the snow too dang heavy to move. So, hmm. so we're going into this uh, union with Christ, and um, I'll just say this is something that I think is just amazing when we start digging to into it and going at it. So. What do we mean by our union with Christ, Brian? So by union with Christ or by the union of Christ, however you want to say it, we're speaking of the identification and relationships that a person enters into when receiving Christ as his or her savior. Uh, There's a sense where Jesus becomes part of us through the Holy Spirit, we're, we're interacting with Christ in a brand new way. We're in this relationship. And one of the key passages among many that we could discuss is in the Gospel of John, where Jesus talks about that uh, when we have that relationship with him, he abides with us and we in him. And so it's important to uh, that that abiding uh, speaks to uh, this union we have with Christ uh, in many ways, as, as we're going to try to understand this tonight, there are different, as with anything theology, there are multiple different ways of looking at it, multiple different models. And we'll discuss some of those models tonight. But, uh, there is still an element of mystery. And, you know, Curtis, as I was preparing, going through some notes, preparing some material for tonight's podcast this afternoon, we may be in a similar situation as we've been when we went through Christology and some of the models. There may be some elements of multiple models that may speak to the union that we have with Christ. So there, there is one model that, uh, that I would agree with the theologian Millard Erickson that, that stands above, above the others. But that's not to say that there's not some elements of truth in these other models as well. But anyhow, the union of Christ addresses how this might happen, how Christ unites himself to us and with us and the model supporting it. Now, just for the for the listeners and for and for those that might not pick up on what we're talking about, but model, you're talking about the structure of how we may understand or our structure of how something is, um, is, um, displayed to us. Yeah, you could say that, or even, um, or if you think of it kind of like, um, I, I don't know about you, but, uh, um, I just had on television, Top Gun Maverick, the new edition of the Top Gun franchises. And I remember growing up, I, I always loved jets, always loved airplanes, but I used to have growing up these little model, these little model planes. Mm-hmm. And these models are 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 uh, examples or symbols of, of something bigger, something larger. And and to a degree, these models that we're discussing are talking about it the same way. They're different ways of different structures of understanding. So uh, there, you may even call them theories. And these models may be theories. Okay. And so uh, that may be even the best term to use for for the model, but a, but a theory on how this works, and it's kind of like those those models. Some of the models that I put together as a kid, of like the F sixteen or the F fourteen Tomcat. Um, of course, today the F twenty two Raptor and F thirty five Lightning is fifth gen jets. They are the the ones that are really uh, the the big players now. But back in the day, the F fourteen, F fifteen, F uh, 
16, those were the jets back in those days. These models that you put together were representations of these jets. And some of the models, the model companies, some of them were better than others. Some of them held together better than others did. So in like manner, these theories are ways of trying to understand this theological principle. And um, in many ways, they focus on different things and trying to understand, trying to explain uh, how this concept comes together as it does. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Building models, not to run off on that tangent, but Ertl, uh, Ertl, a model company, was always the best for doing the semis and the in the trucks and the cars for me. Oh, so you did the semis and cars? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did a, I did a few cars. I did a yep. few cars. Yep. But jets were my big thing. I, In fact, I was uh, at one time uh, wanting to – I mean, I didn't, knew I didn't have the stomach to be a fighter jet. Of course, Top Gun, when it first came out, you know, I thought, man, it would be so cool to be a fighter jet pilot. But I was actually contemplating joining the Air Force and maybe trying to fly planes. But my eyes as a kid – in early teens, they, they got really bad. I wear contact lenses. A lot of people don't know this, but if it weren't for my contact lenses, I couldn't see beyond where my hand is to my face right now. Everything else would be a blur. So my eyes shot down any opportunity of doing anything like that. Yep. Yep. Totally. I get it. I'm the same way. So, so what does scripture tell us about our union with Christ? There are several things. I mean, we've got a bunch of passages of scripture to look at. And I tell you, Curtis, if you want to take the, uh, the quotes in Ephesians and camp out there, I'll start off with, uh, second Corinthians, um, flip over to second Corinthians. And just so everybody knows, uh, tonight, if you want to follow along with us, we encourage you to do so. Uh, Curtis is reading from the ESV, uh, I believe if he has the same one with him and I'm reading from the CSB. And, um, and so I'm going to have to go get my other, uh, Bible because this has got small print talking of bad eyes. So, uh, first of all, we see that the scripture tells us that we are a new creation and we look first to second Corinthians, uh, five seventeen. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Let me turn over there to it. Uh, it says this, um, let me just go back to verse 16 and 17. We'll probably do this uh, a little bit. Um, uh, you know what? I'm going to just take this on down to 19. It says, from now on, then, we do we do uh, not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective. Yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, and here's the verse we're really looking at. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. So back in verse 17, we see that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. And um, the the new has come. And so Curtis is going to read a couple of passages of Scripture for us. I'm actually going to get the Bible with a larger print than I have in here. Uh, the first one is going to be Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 4, and verses 6 through 8. 
And this is going to talk about how we were chosen to be a holy, blameless, forgiven, and redeemed people. And then we'll also flip over to Ephesians 2.10, uh, where uh, we learn that we are God's handiwork in Christ. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to turn it over to Curtis while I go get my other Bible. So Ephesians 1, verse 3 uh through four it says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in christ with every spiritual blessing and in the heavenly places verse four even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love and then verses six through eight Uh, It says, to the praise of his uh, glorious grace with which he has blessed us in in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us all in wisdom and insight. And then if we go over to Ephesians 2.10, it's I'll go back a little bit. Let's let's go back to verse eight here. Uh, verse or chapter two, verse eight. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not on your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works, so that any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Yep. And that and that word um in Ephesians two ten where it says workmanship or his handiwork. Um it's it's also can be um it, it, poem, you know, his his uh his creation his his grand creation. Po it's it's a poema, I believe is what the how how you say the word, but it's it's basically his final stamp on creation, his greatest glory greatest crowning achievement is by is by having us be made in his image amen and i've also heard that word uh likened to an artistic masterpiece yep uh where where god is making us his masterpiece yeah and boy that'll preach (laughs) yeah yeah that's good stuff there oof uh yeah. We we also see that in Christ in First Corinthians fifteen uh twenty-two and, and Curtis, I'll have you take the next one about the fruit in John fifteen. But yep. in Christ uh, we see that we're made alive in First Corinthians fifteen. I'm gonna back this up um in verse twenty. It says, But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, fallen asleep doesn't mean a literal sleep here. It's a metaphor talking about, you know, when we die, you know, our body appears as if it is asleep. Uh, we know that our spirit has left the body. So falling asleep is a metaphor talking about death, uh, describing death. So the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a man... The resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. Mm -hmm. For just as in in Adam all die, here is the union we see. So also in Christ, all will be made alive. So 
before that union of Christ, we are found in a state of living death. Mm-hmm. But now in, in Christ, we're found in the state of everlasting life. The only thing that changes with our union with Christ when we die is our location. Uh, we are transported from this world, be absent from the body, is to truly be present with the Lord. We're transferred from this body, this place, this location to our heavenly home with the Lord. Right. So in John, this is, and, and so follow that up with exactly what we're talking about there, Brian. In John 15, um, verses 4 through 5, and you could go a little further in that, but check this out. It says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in them, he it is that bears nothing bears much fruit apart from me you can bear nothing it says so if you think about that if you cut a branch off a tree it doesn't can't do anything it doesn't it doesn't take up what the tree is giving it you know in in our you know i'm I'm one i got it honest Curtis, you got me thinking about this too because you said uh, that you guys have a wood stove, and mm-hmm. it brought that brought back something about that brought back fond memories because my grandpa oh, he have a wood stove, and um, it was one of those flat top cast iron wood stoves. And oh yeah, grandma used yep. to put a pot of coffee on the top to heat oh, the coffee man. up, and yep. uh, oh my goodness, the steam coming out! I can even I can even visualize that now and the smell the smell of fresh brewed coffee is. She's in yeah. the kitchen scrambling eggs and frying up bacon, and and um, she's got the coffee heating up there on the flat top surface of that wood stove. Something about that heat that comes off. But I know that Grandpa had a little tray beside where he put a stockpile of wood there to prepare to go into the wood stove. And, um, you know, that when that limb or when that piece of wood is cut off from the tree – like you said, it withers up. If there's any leaf on the branch, it withers up and dies because it's no longer part of the root. Uh, you've got to have the root to have fruit. You've got to have that connection with Christ to be able to produce fruit. And this is so critically important in our day and time because there's so many places that's trying to produce fruit by business strategies, they're trying to produce fruit by these different tactics, mm-hmm. these different things. And I'm not saying that there's not that that that's I'm not saying that strategies aren't important ever. But what I am saying is that you've got to be connected to the root of in God. You've got to be connected to Christ and have that sap thrown flowing through you. Oh man. Where you can never produce fruit. Yep. So this fall when we were cutting down some trees that uh, that had basically had broken from the wind and and such, um, and had and had and had died, um, it was crazy because me and and our and our three little kids were out cutting this cutting the top part of this tree down, and there was a portion of it it, it branched off, and there was a portion of it that was still live, and the other part was dead way up high, so I cut it down low so it quit. Um, it would quit 
kind of pulling away from the other tree. Well, when I cut it, there was still water, still sap coming up out of it. And it was like water. It was like bubbling out. And so when I cut it, yeah, cut it and the tree fell over. The kids and I were just enamored with this. I'll have to send you the text or the video. It'll just blow you away because it's sitting there and it's just the the water's just coming out of the stump now. And it's just running out. It, it was it was really neat. And and so you think about it, what looks like on the outside looks like dead on the outside. That part of that tree was still getting fed by the roots. Yeah. So yeah, pretty crazy stuff. <laughs> I love it when I love it when when Jesus gives a you know gives examples and explanations and all that of uh you know and it tells us in scripture all the time about you know certain uh, you know natural happening things and describes um you know his relationship with us by using those natural things that we can see on a daily basis you know it just blows you away we don't. This is kind of off the topic, but it it really in one way it isn't. Um, you until now, I didn't have a good way of watching the new series. You've been telling me about this series for a long time. You've mentioned it on the podcast, the series Chosen, mm-hmm. and so now I'm actually going through what and able now to watch the episodes and this relationship they show between Jesus. And the disciples is amazing, and just what you said, bringing out these natural, these natural um, symbols, these parables, and connecting it to deeper spiritual truths. That type of stuff sticks with you. It's like the yeah. chorus of a song. You may yeah. not remember the verses, yeah, but you'll yeah. remember the chorus. Exactly. Yeah. So of course, good. Or sometimes even with the chorus, you may not get it right. Because you remember the Van Halen song, Panama? <laughs> For the longest time, I thought he was saying Cannonball. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could work. It could work with their other song, Jump. So. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> uh, yeah, a little bit of long hair so, coming out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so we also see that Christ's presence is with us. And we have several promises that God gives his people in in Deuteronomy, in Joshua chapter one, many other passages of scripture where he says, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Matthew 28, 20, we see this as well. Uh, And this is the part of the Great Commission. I'm going to back this up to verse 18. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I got something popping up on my screen. I'm not sure what that is. All right. We got that off. Um, and the t- name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, mm-hmm. even to the end of the age. So we have that abiding presence of the Holy Spirit uh, or the abiding presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit. So John 14, and isn't it interesting how we just went through pneumatology and talking about the Holy Spirit's connection and and seeing how that relates to the union we have with Christ? That's that's pretty remarkable. Well, Um, you know, what's crazy, Brian, is um, I'm I'm slated uh, to teach on community um 
at the church um, coming here in a little while. And Eric asked me to do that. And I got to thinking about it. Just the just this whole thing, okay? The the Holy Spirit is moving us, directing us, as in we are in community with Him. God is living and moving and breathing through us. We abide in Him. It's all community. Isn't it amazing when when we actually start functioning as a believer and and recognizing that? Um, there we're part of something bigger than just us. Absolutely, and how, and how and how much it moves us, you know. This, I mean, I, I've never, I, I've never had this this problem. But people who are part of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, that's one of the things that they tell them is to look for something bigger than yourself. Connect, and of course, it, it's Christian based, so they're, they're talking about that connections with God uh, and with Him, but. At the, at the same time, there's so much importance to be found with connecting to something that's larger than yourself. And ultimately, the best connection we can have in that regard is with Christ right. and with the community of, of saints that he's that he's placed us with. Powerful. And, and with that, uh, we see that in John 14, 23, Jesus, well, before that, he says, I'll not leave you as orphans. I'm coming mm-hmm. to you in a little while. The world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will also love him and reveal myself to him. Now, here's the passage of scripture we're focusing on. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not the world? And Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. So the interesting thing is we also have prior to that in verses 15 through 17, Jesus teaching on the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is the counselor, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside and to be with you forever. This Holy Spirit will. He's a spirit of truth. It's interesting, this connection that Jesus makes, because he shows us that we are entered into this this eternal relationship that's found in Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. that when we have that uh, relationship with Christ, that union with Christ, somehow through the Holy Spirit, we're escorted into this eternal loving relationship between the triune Godhead, Godhead, which is absolutely amazing to consider that we are loved by Father, Son, Holy Spirit and have access to the very throne of grace through the Holy Spirit, through the atoning work of Christ being the mediator and to the Father himself. It's fascinating to consider. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And then you got uh, Romans sharing in Christ's suffering in Romans eight seventeen. You want me to read that? Yes, sir, if you will. So <laughs> it says so if if we are children then if children then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So remember last week we were talking about the 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 justification 
the sanctification, and now we're talking about the glorification. And he's talking about through the suffering, we then become glorified once we move in. You know, the Christian life is not always easy. You know, a lot of times I think we've done a disservice when we when we try to sell Christianity as saying that if you come to Christ, everything will be sunshine and roses and with no problems whatsoever. But that's never what Jesus tells us. Never. He, he tells us that the Christian life is full of of, of troubles. It's, it, it's full of trials. Um, sometimes people will hate you or dislike you simply because you're a Christian, simply mm-hmm. because you follow Christ. Um, so that suffering is to be expected in this world. Um, and we also even see in Galatians 2.20, where he takes this a step further, saying, I have been crucified with Christ. He identifies with that crucifixion as we do as well. And I no longer live. I don't live to myself, Paul says, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith, trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Um, and he, and he said, um, yeah, I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. So in other words, he's saying that he crucifies himself daily, but it's Christ who lives in him, uh, that provides that live, that living water, provides that life. Uh, but he does identify with, with, uh, with with the crucifixion of Jesus and essentially dies daily. And what he means there is putting off his desires and, mm-hmm. and putting on Christ. Essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we yeah. see that he shares in Christ's death. And I think, what is that? Colossians two. in the book of Colossians. Yeah. in Colossians two twenty. So it says um, Colossians two twenty. If with Christ, you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? So there again, you know, sharing sharing in that death, uh, sharing in the death of Christ, and he and he continues this even over in uh, Romans uh, six four, uh, where he talks about therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. And there's a lot more we could discuss there, but we we identified with crucifixion, death, burial uh, of Jesus. And then we see uh, another point being made in Ephesians 2.5, and we'll turn that over to Curtis. Yeah, it says, Ephesians 2.5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. Mm. So quickened by the power and presence of God. Um, we also see that we are sharing Christ's resurrection uh, in Colossians 3, 1. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, not on things below. So we share in Christ's resurrection. And we've got one last one to share with you, and that's in the book of Romans, chapter 8. Yeah, it says here, uh, (laughs) I'm going to go back up one verse. It says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. 
Amen. Yep. So, yeah, there's that. And boy, <laughs> that's a fully loaded, that's a fully loaded, you know, second question that we had. I mean, we had <laughs> a lot of time there with that. So, so what are some of the models that, that speak to the union of Christ then? Uh, so we have, um, so the question becomes, how do we understand Christ's union with us? We read a bunch of, a bunch of scripture relating to this union. So as we mentioned, as with anything in theology, theologians have understood this union in different manners. So from the theological works I studied in preparation for this, we can find about five models that describe this union. And there may be others out there, but the five models include the metaphysical, model, the mystical model, the psychological model, the sacramental model, and then the spiritual slash marital model. And so uh, we'll look at each five models described, which is the closest to the the teachings of Scripture. Of course, there's some elements in all of them that may have, um, you know, may have some Scripture warrant. But um, as we were talking about last week with the different models, uh, even talking about predestination and election, the key is, number one, see which identifies most closely with the scriptural context, the scriptural teaching, and then see which one holds the greatest strengths with the fewest weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's at least as far as what's determining what the best model may be. Okay, so as we go into these, Brian, if you could just, and, I, and don't have to break it down too far, just maybe give a, a what the what the um what the word that we're going to be using means so okay. like we're going into the first one we're going to say describe the metaphysical model some people may not even know what we're talking about when we talk about metaphysical so what does that mean so that's a good point metaphysical means beyond the physical it means um it, it it deals with things beyond just the physical world. Now, a lot of times gotcha. in metaphysics, it'll talk about, you know, what are the building blocks of reality? Uh, gotcha. And it goes into aspects of, of course, you can go into spiritual aspects. It goes into what is the soul. Uh, you know, th- there are some elements with that. Um, and it really goes into a whole wide range of discussions uh, but in this sense, it's talking about that which is beyond the physical, some, something beyond the physical. So uh, this metaphysical model that we're talking about as it pertains to the union of Christ was popularized by a guy named Pierre Tellard de Chardin. I hope I got his name somewhat close to <laughs> the way like, it's pronounced. Sounds like a, sounds like a high dollar wine. <laughs> it, it may be. You never know. <laughs> But he wrote a book back in 1959 called The Phenomenon of Man. De Chardin, uh, or De Chardin, I don't know how you say it, but De Chardin, could be Charmin, I know, but it's not, there's no M. <laughs> De Chardin is uh, argued for a pantheistic notion of Christ's union with all humanity. And bear with me a minute, I'm going to go back and describe pantheism in just a moment. But in a sense, Christ is metaphysically beyond the physical connected to all people his essence and being are passed along to each person of the human race therefore all people share an essence of the divine 
And to some degree, you may say there is some element of truth in the claim because of the Imagio Dei, God breathed his breath into all humanity, granting each person a spiritual soul. However, the problem, and I can see it in your face already, Curtis, mm. uh, the problem derives yeah. from saying that all people hold the essence of God's divine being within themselves without a relational status with God. And in 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul notes that a person in Christ is a new creation, not that all people are new creations, because if all people were new creations, how would they be new? Uh, where would be the newness of that creation? Because he talks about there's he contrasts an old creation with a new creation. Mm-hmm. So the problem with the pantheist notions, with pantheist notions in general, is that God is held to be in all things without distinguishing the difference between God's personal self and the objects that he created. And that's what pantheism is. Pantheism is this belief that uh, everything, in a sense, is God. It's not necessarily like panentheism where God is right. seen to be in anything, yeah, but it's yeah. almost, almost like this popular notion you find today that people says the, the universe finds a way as if the universe is a living entity. Um, so in this notion, everything is part, everything is divine. So you'd be divine. I'd be divine that bookshelf behind you is divine this chest of drawers behind me is divine everything is divine um so that's part of the problem with pantheism there's no way of separating in this model there's no way of separating who god is from his creation in many ways creation itself is kind of like the embodiment of god you you might say Hmm. a little strange there but yeah very much so. <laughs> so what about the mystical model then? So we go from a French guy to a German guy, Adolf Deisman, 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 D-E-I-S-S-M-A-N-N, uh, popularized this viewpoint in his book called Paul, A Study in Social and Religious History. The mystical model, model is com- comparable to the metaphysical one, uh, one of the greatest advocates of this mystical model was the guy I just mentioned. Dysman held that Christ overwhelms a person so much in his relationship with that person that the person's identity is lost in Christ's presence. Therefore, a person loses their identity in one's relationship with Christ. He likened it to a sports fan who's so captivated by a game to such a degree that the person forgets his location, his or her location. Or like a, a musician playing an instrument and so caught up in the music that you lose yourself. And so he believes that uh, that a person loses themselves, uh, loses oneself in their relationship with, with Christ. The problem, as you can imagine, with the mystical model is that a person doesn't lose their identity in their relationship with Christ. Christ transforms their identity, yes. Yeah. But consider a couple of passages. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. Mm. And here Paul doesn't suggest that he lost his identity. He no longer suggests that Paul the, Paul the apostle no longer exists, that Christ is, is when he does something, right. it's Christ doing it. And boy, right. that can bring a whole host of problems. But rather, he noted that Christ lived in him, which transformed his identity and relational status with God. John 14, 12, Jesus talked, truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, 
And he will even do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Jesus didn't say that a person becomes a passive agent with no input in the process. Rather, he asserts that the person will do great works because the implied Holy Spirit abiding within them and bringing fruit through their works, through their efforts. And next season, season seven, I think we're going to start off with bibliology. This is a this is going to be another good one because bibliology is all about the Bible. It's all about revelation. It's all about the special revelation of God. And we're going to talk about uh, in inspiration. We're going to talk about infallibility. We're going to talk about inerrancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to talk about um, how the Bible was shaped. We're going to talk a lot about this. One of the things we're going to discuss, but it's also important here to mention, is that the authorship of the Bible also serves as an example of why this model ultimately fails. The Spirit of God breathed, the Scriptures God breathed uh, through the works of the individuals, but he did not manually dictate everything each author of the Bible wrote. He preserved and inspired and ensured that everything they wrote was correct. But he didn't remove their personality and their mm-hmm. writing style. I mean, throughout the pages of Scripture, it was written over thousands of years by 40-some people. Mm-hmm. He inspired these individuals, breathing life through their writings and preserving their accuracy. But we see several different writing styles. We see several uh, – the prophets were literary geniuses and how they had these different puns and word plays that they brought about. Uh, God worked through their personalities to bring about the scripture we have now, but he didn't remove that. Uh, Mm -hmm. It wasn't a bland dictatorial process. Rather, he spoke and breathed through their works and efforts. And so I think this is also another example of why uh, Dysman's uh, mystical model uh, ultimately doesn't work. Mm. Couple of thoughts there. First off, you, if if you know he because because God breathed through that, but he was using circumstances, culture. He was using their language, their thoughts, their their experiences, all to to utilize that utilizing that to force or to have an impact on certain periods, certain people, and those things. The second thought was when you explain that to me or explain that very first off, my first thought was, well, there went their free will. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. Hmm. (laughs) So could there be a soteriological point to be made through the inspiration of scripture? I think you just hit on something big time (laughs) there, my friend. (laughs) So what is the psychological Yeah, psychological <laughs> model. Then I dropped the mic, but it'd make a bunch of noise. It, yeah, <laughs> it's a mic drop moment. <laughs> yeah. uh, Cowboy apologist is on fire tonight. It may be cold up there, but he's on fire tonight. Yeah. So the psychological model holds uh, the psychological model model sees the relationship between Christ and each person comparable to a teacher and a student. Uh, C.S. Lewis seemed to suggest this kind of relationship in his book Four Loves. Now, Millard Erickson argues uh, that uh, where the first two models were too strong, this one may be a little too weak. 
but I'm going to have to, while I agree with Erickson that this, this model may not be ideal, I wouldn't take as strong uh, of, a, of a perspective against this model as Erickson does uh, in his book, Christian Theology. Um, so Erickson looks to Jesus' teaching in John 14, 12, where Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. The Father will love him and will come to him and make her home with him. He contends that this union is not about teaching alone, it, but it requires obedience. Now, and, th- and that's on page 879 of this Christian theology. But personally, I think this model still works for a number of reasons. First, it shows the educational component to Christ's union with each believer. The believer is called a disciple. Disciple means student, indicating that Christ is our teacher. Uh, he teaches us through experiences. He teaches us, you know, we go through t- schools, and but it's still Christ who's teaching us ultimately through those things. Second, the model portrays the personal aspect of one's relationship with Christ. Our union with Christ is wholeheartedly a relationship, and this cannot be ignored. And third, education itself requires obedience. He seems to be arguing against this because of the obedience required, but Every student knows who takes a class that he or she has the freedom to do the assignment or not do the assignment. But if you don't do the assignment, you're going to get a bad grade. So in a sense, the whole educational process is a process of obedience. If a student is unwilling to listen to the to the teacher, this case being Jesus, then the person becomes unteachable and unusable by Christ, thus hindering the relationship between teacher and student. So Erickson's argument against the psychological model is not as strong as it would appear at the surface level, but I ultimately agree with Erickson that this might not be the most ideal model of the five, but even still, I think there's something to this model that can't be ignored, that there is this relationship between teacher and student that we have in this union with Christ. It may not be the most ideal one, but I don't think we can just toss it aside either. Mm-hmm. Well, I think just our 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 general reading of Scripture and how we learn through that continually. You can read a passage and then go back and read a passage again six months later. That same passage and and it's teaching you something different about an application in your life or 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 the the maybe the situation you're in so it also it says in the scripture talks about how as we read that the holy spirit will bring this stuff back up to us this this so yeah i guess it could hold a, a good you know actually a pretty good chunk of of what you know what we can how we could understand it in that I agree. I agree. So let's talk about the sacramental model. Okay. So as the name implies, the sacramental model is largely found in in Catholic uh, environments. Uh, Eric Maskell popularized this model in his book, Christian Theology and Natural Science. Uh, Maskell believed that a believer is united with Christ through the physical sacraments, especially found in Eucharist or Communion. And this model takes a hyper-literal view of Christ's statements, this is my body, this is my blood. Uh, the the problems with this view, now, now I, I'm going to say that there is something to the communion service. 
uh, where we where we remember and we're we're brought into uh, the the presence of Christ, brought into that remembrance of Christ's toning sacrifice. So I'm not trying to flippantly say that it's not important that communion's not important. I would never say that. Uh, but at the same time, uh, there are scriptural problems to this opinion in my in my belief. <laughs> Erickson brought out uh, a, a passage of scripture in Hebrews, um, and it is in Hebrews nine twenty three to twenty eight. It says, and I may not read all of it, but I'll just uh, read a little bit of it. It says, therefore, it was necessary. For the copies of the things in the heavens to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves to be purified with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself, so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. He did not do this to offer himself many times as a high priest enters into the sanctuary yearly, with the blood of another. Otherwise, he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he's appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for people to die once and after this judgment, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So this passage of scripture really seems to suggest that there's only one mediator between the Father and humanity, and that mediator is Christ and through that atoning sacrifice. So if that's the case, you know, with all due respect to our Catholic brothers and sisters, I'm not, you know, but there are problems, I think, with that assessment in holding that that fully encompasses the union we have with Christ. Mm-hmm. All of that that you were just talking about is so fully loaded with with just so much of our relationship with Christ and how he's not only is he the the atoning work, but he's also our advocate. He also goes to the Father. Mm. Um, man, there's just so much there. It's an amazing thought when you get to thinking about it. You could preach an entire series of sermons just from that passage alone. Oh, man. Boy, oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. So then what is the spiritual marital model? So the fifth model can be called the spiritual model or it could be called the marital model. And this is one that Erickson defends in his book, uh, his theological book, Christian Theology. And he calls attention to the relational aspect of our union with Christ by using the biblical language of marriage itself. Christ and the church are like a groom and bride. And thus each person in the church holds a special covenantal bond with Christ that is comparable to the, to the marital bond we have between husband and wife. Uh, Paul likens a believer's union with Christ to the bonds of marriage by writing in, um, Ephesians 2, in the same way husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. 
This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. But the whole the whole concept of marriage there, the biblical teaching of marriage, really has its root in North Carolina or root in Montana. <laughs> Oh man, I was expecting a reaction. I didn't get one. <laughs> it's root. Yep, it's root. <laughs> See, I can't even say it how you say it. I, I know you can't. I, I can't even. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but anyhow, the whole concept of marriage is uh, is drawn from this relationship we find that God has with His people, Christ has with the church, and and it's really this deep felt loving relationship, this covenantal bond mm-hmm. between Christ and the church. And then to make matters even more stressful for husbands, the men, he tells us men that we are to love our wives as Christ loves the church. Now you talk about a challenge. Now that's a challenge right there. Mm-hmm. You know, what's crazy is in every one of these models, there's, there's an element that, that does, that does prove um, prove true scripturally, um, but I would have to say, yeah, the 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 marital spiritual model um, is something that is rich and throughout the scripture because it's always talking about you know his bride and 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 so on and so forth all the way through scripture and the examples that he gives. Um, types and shadows, which, you know, um, you know, that's kind of my, that's kind of my, my, my lane. I love the, you know, the types and the shadows and the, and the things to search out. All of that is, is something that makes me connect with the scripture even more. And there's a lot of types and shadows in there about Christ or God and his bride, God and his people. Did you catch the type and shadow that was mentioned in the text in Hebrews that we talked about? Mm-hmm. How even the temple is a, was the temple, the physical temple that was built was a type or a shadow of the heavenly temple. The heavenly one. Yeah. It, it, so in other words, it's it's representative of the throne room of God. Mm-hmm. And when you enter that holy of holies, that is where the the personal, the fullness of the father's personal presence is found. Now, was there literally a wall in heaven? Probably not. But I think he's just talking about that throne room, that Mm -hmm. that special place. I mean, can you imagine, you know, we can't look at the sun, our physical sun, you know, without being blinded. Can you imagine the energy, the sheer energy and power that must be emitted from the the, the throne of God as, as he's this awesome presence, this awesome being that is God, the father. But um, I, I believe that's, that's where, you know, we talk about, I think we were talking before, maybe even off podcast about marriages. I think the marriage that happens at that time in heaven is the marriage between God and his covenantal people. So th- that's where we are really linked in. That's where that marriage is found between God and his people at that time. Uh, and, you know, we can get more into that later on, but, but uh, Erickson, let me bring up three distinctions that Erickson talks about and that I thought, thought were really good. 
Uh, one, he talks about this relationship is judicial. The believer's status has been made right with the Father. Mm-hmm. The person's been moved from the state of judgment to a state of grace. Mm-hmm. Second, this relationship is spiritual. The believer's union with Christ is actualized in and through the Holy Spirit. And additionally, the union unites God's spirit to the individual spirit. Excuse me, got a tickle in my throat. But uh, we're related together. We're united. We're kind of almost, if you think about it, our spirits are kind of welded, welded to the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit mm-hmm. of God's welded our souls to His mm-hmm. so that we are connected in the in a tremendous fashion to to the triune Godhead. And then lastly, the relationship, using my language here, is critical. The union with Christ imparts life and empowers the believer to be able to work for the Lord. Romans 12, 2, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 are such examples. But without this union, no spiritual work could be accomplished. The spiritual dimension of our union is often missing in many of our tactics, tactics and models. But without the spiritual empowerment of Christ and without true godly prayer, nothing of spiritual significance could ever be accomplished. We cannot do anything of any spiritual importance without the personal power and presence of God flowing through our lives. And that's why prayer is absolutely vital, absolutely critical for the child of God. Mm. Yeah, and, and hey, you know, Pastor Eric and I have discussed this uh, quite a bit is prayer isn't isn't for god it's for us it's for us oh, aligning, aligning with god's plan and purpose and 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 us essentially getting his calling you know calling orders so that's exactly right so then what is implied by our union with christ at salvation then so there are numerous things and uh we could talk about i mean there's just a lot of passages of scripture, but you know, the night is passing by us and we're get, coming to the end of the podcast. So I'm just going to leave you with these scriptural references and just challenge you to go look them up for yourselves. Uh, four things we would want to mention here. Uh, first and foremost, we can say that uh, we have the ability to lead righteous lives due to Christ's abiding relationship with us. Not because of our own power, because of our own righteousness, but because of God's, of Christ's abiding presence with us. We can live righteously. We can live lives of obedience to the Lord. We don't have to succumb to temptation. We don't have to succumb to the, to the wiles of Satan. We don't have to follow after the, the, the base desires of the flesh any longer. We can follow after Christ because of his righteousness abiding with us. You know, a lot of times I remember in times past, I heard people say, well, that's just human nature. Well, you're right. That is human nature. And Christ came to set us free from the bonds of sin. Yeah. So he came, yeah, set us free from the bonds of human nature. So you don't have to just willingly give up and give in to sinful desires and and contemplations whenever they arise because God has called us to a spiritual life. Now, we're all going to make mistakes. Yes. We're all going to do things we wish we shouldn't, we didn't do. We're going to do, wish, we're going to do things we wish we shouldn't have. That's why we have forgiveness. But we shouldn't try to just say, "Hey, I'm just going to go into this willy nilly," and and you know, I'm I'm just 
going to do whatever because Christ will forgive me. That's not what salvation is about. He came to call us, to transform us, to call us to a higher standard. Second, we are empowered by Christ's strength. Now, there's three passages of Scripture I'll leave with you here. First, I would tell you 2 Corinthians 12, 9 is one. Galatians 2, 20, we already read that one. In Philippians 4.13, I think everyone knows knows that passage of Scripture. Uh, to, to, was it to live as Christ? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, and then third, we, have, we may have to suffer as Christ did, John 15.20. And we've talked about that already, so no, no need to rehash that. But then fourth, we'll be able to eventually reign with Christ in the future. And I want to read this passage of Scripture real quickly. Give me just a second. But there's a couple of other passages, Luke 22, 30, 2 Timothy 2, 12. But this one is in Mark 10. Let me read this real quickly. Mark chapter 10. Went too far that way into Matthew. Well, the pages are going to stick together. All right, Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 39. Uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask you. What do you want me to do for you? He asked them. They answered him, Allow us to sit at your right and at your left in your glory. (laughs) Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with a baptism I'm baptized with? We are able, they told him. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and you will be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left hand is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those for whom it's been prepared. Now, the point is there uh, that we will rule and reign with Christ. Now, who gets seated where? That's up to the Father, Jesus said. But we will all rule and reign with Christ for all eternity. And so we have that uh, that part of that abiding union with Christ is not only for the 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 joy of salvation we find in Christ now, but also for that glorified a promise we have that eventually we're going to rule and reign with him where in that day when the meek shall inherit the earth. Hmm. So then on our last question here, trying to get through this being, this is our last podcast before Christmas speak to the importance of the Christmas season as it pertains to our union with Christ. Real quickly, and this is just something I was I, I I was kind of thinking through before the podcast. Mm-hmm. During this Christmas season, Christians often get caught up on issues concerning the true date of Jesus' birth. Was it December 25th? Some people say March 25th. Some people say it was in the fall of the year. Different festivals, maybe with a festival or something of that sort. Uh, we get caught up on the origins of the symbols we have at Christmas and what constituted the Christmas star. <laughs> While these issues are important in their own right, and I'm not trying to dismiss any of them, I think we often lose the impact of the incarnation of Christ. Even if December 25th is not the actual date of Jesus' birth. By the way, there is a tradition that something may have happened, even if it wasn't Jesus' birth. Something may have happened with the early life of Jesus around this time. Maybe it was a time when Gabriel announced to Mary uh, some people believe that. But anyhow, even if it's not the actual date of Jesus' birth, the importance of Jesus' birth and the divine incarnation are worth celebrating if it's December 25th or whatever day. 
this is the date that the church is set aside to celebrate Jesus' birth, and that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Jesus' birth points to God's tabernacling with us, provide redemption and union with his people that no other way could have afforded. Because of Jesus' birth, death, resurrection, ascension, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, we now have a union with Christ that the prophets of old only wished they had while they were living on earth. This union not only continues on this side of eternity, but it also continues for all eternity in heaven. We have a union with Christ that will continue on, and we have the, we have that assurance uh, of of that union as well. And so, in Christ, we have the power to be able to do uh, work for the Lord, to be able to do things for the Father. And so, this union with Christ is absolutely amazing. It's absolutely phenomenal, and that's what we're truly celebrating in December twenty fifth. We're celebrating the birth of Christ, but we're also contemplating and celebrating the incarnation of Christ when when God became flesh and dwelt among us. Mm. And his name shall be called the Emmanuel. Amen. God with us. So we here at Bellator Christi want to thank you for spending time together with us, and we value that time. Our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and become a strength to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and become a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christie Podcast. And until next time, Brian and I say, Soldier on, friends. Soldier on, friends. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast with Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo. This podcast is an exclusive production of Bellator Christie Ministries and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The views expressed on this podcast may not reflect the opinions of Bellator Christie Ministries and its affiliates. We thank you for listening and hope you'll consider leaving a positive review. To see more from Bellator Christie Ministries, go to bellatorchristie.com. Bellator Christie is now on YouTube. Go to youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie and catch the podcasts as they're recorded live. And there you can interact with the content, ask questions live on the podcast, and your questions may be included. If you don't make the live podcast, be sure to go to bellatorchristie.com and click submit your question, and your question may be featured on a future article or podcast. Again, we thank you for your support, and thank you for listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast.